Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Light It Up podcast. On today's episode, Tom sits down with Paul Goslin to talk everything landscape lighting. Paul is the owner of Night Scenes Landscape Lighting, located in Austin, Texas. Some of you may also know Paul from his published book, The Landscape Lighting Guide. I'll let Tom pick it up from here. Well, um, Paul, I'd like to thank you to the Light It Up podcast. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming on uh, uh, this podcast. Um, the Light It Up podcast is a uh, neutral-based podcast. We typically don't highlight uh, any advertisers or anything like that. It's all about education and helping people in this crazy lighting industry learn as much as they possibly can about lighting, LEDs. Uh, if they have any questions, we ask them to, uh, um, you know, to send us an email and we'll do our best to answer those questions. So, uh, about Paul, um, you're the owner of uh, Night Scenes, a landscape lighting company near Austin, Texas. Welcome, and can you tell us something about yourself? Well, thanks for having me on, Tom. I really appreciate you asking me to be here. A uh, little bit about myself. Well, I, I'm actually located about 40 miles or so northwest of Austin in the beautiful Texas Hill Country, uh, what we call the Highland Lakes area. A um, little bit about myself. Let's see. I'm married to my lovely wife, Patty, for almost 23 years. I've got three kids ranging from 41, I say kids, from 41 to 29, and four grandchildren from 18 to 12. Um, So well-rounded in that way. Uh, Got into outdoor lighting in 2004, started uh, night scenes in March of 2004, so 16 years ago. Um, And before that, I was an electrician, and that's kind of how I got into lighting was from the electrical side. I had a little uh, electrical business and uh, discovered that lighting is so much more fun than climbing in attics and doing electrical work. Especially in uh, Texas in the middle of summer or anything like that. But that was my next question. If you were in the lighting industry uh, prior and if you had any uh, experience in the uh, lighting industry before getting into landscape. So you were an electrician. What kind of geared you towards landscape lighting? Did you install uh, some landscape jobs or what? Well, no, it it actually just fell in my lap. I had a client who had a little area where he and his wife liked to hang out in the evening. He kind of created this nice little water feature. And he asked me one day if I could do anything there to kind of make it a little bit nicer in the evenings because it's about the only time we get to enjoy our outdoors here in the summertime. <laughs> and, and so, uh, I, I took, I took a look at it and I said, sure. Yeah, I'll come up with something. And, uh, I went to the local big box store, bought a bunch of stuff because, you know, electricians don't know about low voltage landscape lighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I went and I bought some stuff and went and looked at it that night, uh, with my family and just fell in love with it. And, uh, and decided after that weekend that this is where we were going to go. We, were, we weren't going to be in electrical business anymore. We were going to go into the outdoor lighting business. Right, right. Well, that's great. Uh, and, you know, people spend so much money on landscaping their house, and it always looks beautiful during the day. 
but it looks a heck of a lot more uh, more beautiful at night, especially if it's lit up and if it's lit up well. So um, uh, I understand that several years ago that you wrote a book on landscape lighting. What's what's the name of the book? Well, the book is the Landscape Lighting Guide. It's on the it's a contractor's resource, and it's on Amazon.com. Uh, published it in July of 2017, so it's almost three years old now. Almost time for a volume two, <laughs> because lightning uh, lighting has changed in lightning speed over the last few years. So it's it's probably about time to start looking at a rerun. Right. So, what inspired you to write a book on landscape lighting? Um, well. The, the the thing is, is that I have a blog on my website and the blog has about 200 different blog topics. And I get emails all the time from people all over the world asking me about outdoor lighting. They're asking me questions. And one day somebody posed, you know, asked me, well, why don't you just write a book? And I was like, ding, yeah, why not? You know? So I had all of I had so much content already. Had to rewrite some of it because my blog is really geared toward the homeowner. Uh, so I had to kind of write some stuff differently to to start targeting the contractor and uh, and such. So uh, that was the inspiration behind it. You know, it's just somebody saying, "Well, you got all this content. Why don't you write a book?" And so there you go. No, that's great. So if there's one takeaway from the book, what would you say that it would be? Uh, that it is a guide. It's a guide for people who are just wanting to get into the outdoor lighting business. It's really not something for the seasoned pro, okay? Uh, yeah, they might get a few things out of it, uh, but really it's for the the novice, the, the guy who a uh, retired firefighter or a landscaper or somebody like that who, who wants to get into outdoor lighting. Um, it gives all the essentials, you know. Uh, what it doesn't do is teach somebody lighting design because personally, I feel that the only way you can really learn design is to get out there and do it because there's no way I can describe to somebody the difference between one fixture and two fixtures on a crate hurdle or the difference between 2,700 degrees Kelvin and 3,000 degrees Kelvin, or a 35-degree beam and a 60-degree beam. The only way you can know what those effects are going to be is to get out there and actually do it. Sure. So uh, what I don't want people to do is think this is going to be a know-all, be-all book, because it's not. It's a, uh, here's how you get started, you know, the very basics of business. Uh, here's all the tools of the trade. You know, here's, you know, voltage drop calculations, you know, some technical stuff like that, some very basic design concepts and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And the rest, you know, you got to get out there in the field and do it. Yeah. You know, one thing about landscape lighting, it's uh, it's a part science, part engineering, it's uh, a part art. And it's it's really a practice, you know. It doesn't seem like you ever get it a hundred percent until you do all the different tweakings, and no two yards are the same or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's a real challenge, and uh, you know, people are learning by it all the time. So, one of the main points that I wanted to discuss today was. Uh, you know, drop-in retrofit lamps. 
versus uh, integrated fixtures in landscape lighting. What's your split on integrated versus drop-in uh, or retrofit lighting? I would say I'm probably about a 70-30 split, 70% integrated, 30% drop-in. Um, I am seeing that I'm getting more drop-in, uh, you know, depending on the clientele. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to make some compromises and I'll go, well, you know, how can we cut this back a little bit? And I'll go, well, we can do this. Um, I almost always use drop-ins when I'm doing downlighting uh, because I, I, I want the versatility um, of a drop-in fixture. Uh, so, yeah, I would say about 70-30. I see. Um, and I think you're a little bit, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but heavier on the integrated side versus a lot of people that I've talked to in the past. A lot of people have been about 50-50 and more leaning towards uh, drop-in than integrated. So uh, it's good that I'm, I'm talking about this because, you know, I like to learn more and more about, you know, why people do what and, and, and all of that. So why do you use one technology over another on a particular job? Um, primarily the reason is the, well, the life, the lifespan of the product, right? Um, the, the best led drop in that I'm aware of is about, you know, 25,000 hours where, you know, uh, integrated, you can get, you know, most, a lot of them are 50,000 hours. Um, and you know, that's all, you know, that's to me, that's still guesstimating, but it's, um, you know, twice the lamp life, basically. Now, you know, the cost difference is what it is. What I generally try to do is if I'm doing demos, which is getting off topic a little bit, but demoing with lamped products, right? So you can tweak it and find out exactly what you need and then install the, uh, the integrated product, you know, that's going to have 10, 15 year warranty on it. Uh, as opposed to a lamp product. Yeah, um, I, I completely understand. Uh, from an integrated standpoint, uh, you know, talking about serviceability, is there anything that can be done from a preventative maintenance standpoint to make a integrated fixture last longer? Uh, preventative maintenance, you know, the, the only thing I can really say about that is make sure you pay attention to the technical as aspect of the installation. Um, as far as just regular maintenance, what can you do? I don't know of any regular maintenance, but if you don't, if you're not paying attention to the voltage at the fixture, when you're installing it uh, and paying attention to those technical aspects on the front end, I have found uh, where integrated products can prematurely fail because they've been either undervolted or overvolted. Um, you know, because people were just, you know, they just hook them up and then, you know, Hey, you can put as many lights on a wire as you want, you know, that right. kind of attitude. And, uh, don't think that, you know, that you have to worry about things like voltage drop and such. And we run into situations on a regular basis where, uh, integrated product, well, and lamp product for that matter, uh, has failed due to people not paying attention to the voltage. 
Huh. What on the integrated product that you use, what is the voltage range? Uh, usually uh, printed on their documentation. It's usually somewhere between 9 and 18 volts, you know, depending. Okay. Uh, I know of product that, you know, you can go a little lower and a little higher. Uh, but uh, that's usually what's on their on their paperwork. Sure. And um, on integrated product, is it typically dimmable or not? Uh, I was, well, some of it is, and some of it isn't, you know, which is something also that has to be, uh, taken into account. Um, in, in situations that I work in, I, I generally, um, try to dissuade clientele from trying to dim LED, uh, because some of it, you can dim the transformer. Some of it, you can dim it on the secondary side. I'm not a fan of dimming transformers. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, if, to me, if it's designed properly, you don't have a need to dim it anyway. Sure. Because, you know, it's designed, right? if anything, you need to crank it up a little bit as the, as the uh, landscape materials. But, uh, but yeah. dimming generally isn't a situation that we get into. Yeah, the only reason I can see uh, for dimming would be more seasonal. Uh, yeah. You know, for uh, you know the summer months when a tree is fully foliated or something like that, you might need to crank it up when it loses all of its leaves. You know, dim it down. But um, that's um, real individual. Uh, yeah, and and that might be more uh, regional. You know, um, here where I am in Central Texas, most of our stuff is evergreen. Um, it's uh, you know live oak trees and. And cedars and stuff so so most of our trees stay green year-round so it, it might be something that yeah might be a regional thing to be you know to have that uh functionality to be able to uh dim things i could see where that happened especially in snow right yeah if your trees lose its leaves it's got bigger problems right <laughs> yeah yeah but we i mean we do have elms and such but usually those are so big that you're gonna want the punch anyway so yeah. uh so it's not product, an issue of the products that you sell and install if something goes out is there any way to troubleshoot or replace a board or a driver or something like that on the integrated products that i use mostly um the answer to that question is no there are some that i use that that you do do that with you you can replace a driver um, um but but the vast majority of what i use i can't replace any parts it's replace the fixture um and i found and this is just you know what what i've found in our area the fixtures that you can get into to fix are usually the fixtures that have corrosion in them on boards and stuff like that and and we 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 generally talk our clients into replacing them. Sure, sure. Um, from an environmental standpoint, are, are integrated any more or less susceptible to those types of failures? I th uh, once again, depending on the uh, on the on the product. Um, uh, golly, I don't know if they're any more susceptible, really, than a lamp. To be quite honest, 
um, you know, lamps are usually really well sealed and potted, but then again, I have found lamps that I've used over the years, uh, that, oh, golly, it was, you know, back in the day when, when, when lamps were, uh, just starting out, there were a lot of problems. Um, but, uh, but now, um, I, I think things are kind of evening out. Right. I think I was getting at, you know, listen, best case scenario, using a UL fixture, it's a fixture for wet location, meaning that mm-hmm. water cannot get on the inside. But listen, if it's sitting in a, you know, if it's raining and the thing is sitting in a foot of water, um, you know, it's possible that water can get inside because a foot of water isn't included in on UL's rain test. Right. So, um, you know, I don't know if uh, the integrated fixtures, if the boards uh, have conformal coatings on them, if they're more or less susceptible to corrosion uh, versus the bulbs. You know, I don't know. I was just, just asking. Well, I, I guess – you know, on the, on the fixtures that I can't get into. Okay. So they're, they're completely sealed and potted fixture. You, you can't get into it to work on it anyway. Um, I have had them actually go through floods. We, we had a situation around here not too long ago where, uh, we had, you know, three the fixtures were under, you know, heck, I think at one point, like eight feet of water. And we had to dig them out. We had to dig out over a foot of mud underneath them or that had covered them up and they were still working. Okay. Um, so I would say as long as it's a really well uh, sealed and potted fixture, water shouldn't be able to get into it. And that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, I have seen other fixtures that you can get into to repair. Okay. Or replace a board or whatever inevitably if i can get into it water can get into it and you know somehow you know humidity or what have you is going to get into there you know whether it's wicking through the through the bottom or through the gaskets or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. um and i've taken pictures of some of these boards that you can see the corrosion on you know and so in those situation you know yeah i've i've, I've found problems um so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah no, it does. Um, have you ever had problems or with uh, interference of garage door openers or gates or television? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, back, back about 10 years ago when LEDs were really coming on strong in the industry, uh, there were a lot of problems with that. And I still hear of it every now and then we make sure that we don't purchase anything that's not FCC compliant. Okay. So, uh, so that's pretty much eliminated that situation for us. Uh, but I still hear tell of it happening out there in the industry. So I guess some people are still using some products that are not FCC compliant. Yeah. The, uh, um, it's usually you'll find it on the less expensive fixtures or bulbs that, uh, you know, if it doesn't uh, meet FCC, you know, the the coil or the other components that goes inside, you know, it's very inexpensive, you know, cost 
that manufacturing cost is a dollar or so. But I mean, there's nothing more frustrated than pulling up to your garage at night. <laughs> then you can't figure it out. You know, you go, oh, honey, you know, last night my garage door opener wouldn't come down. You know, in the morning, everything's working fine. You know, what the heck's going on? I got to replace the garage door opener, you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, but it's, and it's, it's all that. Somebody saving a buck on a fixture or a lamp, you know? Yeah. And, it's stupid. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah, pretty nuts. Or, so, or, or it's just ignorance of the issue, you know, not saying stupidity, saying ignorance, just not knowing about, you know, the situation with, uh, FCC compliant lamps because some, I mean, some people just, if they're not educated on it, um, they don't even know the the situation exists, you know? No, sure. Sure. No, I get it. Um, so what about, you know, on these like, uh, call them accent lights or up lights or whatever, single versus multiple beam technology. What are you seeing? Wow. Well, that's that's come a long way. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm really a, a fan of the uh, the Cobb, you know, the the chip on board single emitter. Um, it, it, there there are products out there that have multiple emitters, um, and what I've no- noticed is, generally speaking, in my opinion. I wouldn't want to use multiple emitters on a flat surface, uh, like on the facade of a house or something. Right. I think they're fine to light up vegetation because you're not going to see the striations and stuff. But uh, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't use them on a flat surface, especially if that surface is light colored, <laughs> because you do see you know that uh, the, the the different beams coming on that thing and so it just it, it to me it just kind of looks weird um there have been like i said there, there's there's since led has evolved so much uh what uh I, i'm seeing more people go to this the the chip on board technology right right and so even with the integrated you seeing that as well oh yeah absolutely probably even more with integrated you know um seeing the striations and stuff with uh with the integrated as opposed to a single chip lamp the uh the 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 effect on on a surface can be pretty dramatic right right yeah uh and like you said even on an architectural element it's even more dramatic than 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 that oh yeah 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 um have you ever messed around with uh uh dc current DC transformers or anything like that? I have a little. Um, you know, I, I like the idea of it. Um, just the idea of direct current, you know, not having to worry about voltage drop as much. Um, being able to, you know, have a, a putting more fixtures because you don't have the, the, the uh, VA to worry about. Um, mm-hmm with uh with dc i don't know if it's really going to take hold in the united states as much as it might you know in europe where they use you know 240 volt and stuff like that all the time um but uh i've used it um i worry about people using it who don't understand dc over ac 
and and do things you know have problems with uh you know crossing their polarity and stuff like that in dc situations so um uh, yeah i've used it i i don't know that it was it would be something that i would um i would favor at least not at this time right right and i'm just curious if uh you know all integrated and drop in would work with dc or the i would be the same wouldn't uh, well i mean since leds all use dc power anyway i mean that's the driver is doing at least the way i understand it is converting it from ac to dc um i would think that all L- I, I mean, so far all of the leds i've tried on dc have worked mm-hmm. now whether they'll work consistently long would, would yeah whether they'd work long term would be the thing but i would think that they would favor dc power to ac power but then again i'm not a i'm not an electrical engineer so did you <laughs> get the, the the power supply that you were using was it uh magnetic or an electronic I'm, I mostly use magnetic tra- or uh, yeah, magnetic transformers. Um, for the I've D- used for the DC ones that you were playing around with. Were those DC as well? Well, those were DC transformers. Okay, you know, yeah, I've used DC transformers, and I think there's a new system out there that runs pretty much all on DC. Right. So, yeah, yeah. it was funny. Uh, it probably goes back uh, six or seven years ago. I was actually in Hong Kong at a uh, at a lighting uh, party and met this guy from Australia who was a landscape lighting. He sold the product and he also installed it. And he was telling me about all the benefits with, uh, um, you know, the longer runs and this and that and not have to worry about some of these other things. And he says, but there's one thing that you have to, take care with and he says if you don't make a good watertight connection the corrosion will kill you yeah he says that your you know your your splice your connection whatever has got to be as uh, rock solid as possible and he says just look at the battery terminals you know on your car he says, if you don't take care of them, if you don't grease them, you don't maintain them, you know, they're going to corrode like crazy. He says the same thing about um, uh, current on the um, uh, on the landscape lighting run. So, uh, but that was interesting. It'll be, uh, you know, some of these guys out there with uh, uh, different uh, potting solutions for the electrical connections or the uh, shrink wrap or whatever it just are those good enough for this type of connection i'm sure we'd have to do a lot more investigation to find out yeah probably use some kind of anti uh oxidation um material on your connections right just well, to just to keep that from happening but that makes sense I, I can see where that could be a problem yeah put a grease pot within a grease pot or something like that yeah yeah mm. uh, you ever taken consideration inrush current when loading up the system? You know, I think we used to see situations like that, even with uh, LED or, or even before LED. 
Uh, matter of fact, before LED, I think I saw even more problems with it, uh, especially when it came to um, a certain brand of uh, electrical panels. You know, they'd have a, uh, let's see, is that QO uh, brand? Um, golly, I'm trying to remember the, the, the Square D. Um, yeah. Square D QO uh, brand uh, electrical system used to if your transformer was too close to the panel it would trip the breaker when it came on <laughs> and it was because of the inrush current especially on bigger transformers um, I haven't seen that problem since LED um, so I, I I mean I can't really personally speak on whether it's a problem uh, now for others but we haven't seen that problem in a long time Right, right. Um, so I'm going to kind of quiz you here. How close do you stay to the 80-20 rule as far as loading up a transformer? We don't go over 70%. <laughs> we, we do 70-30. <laughs> I want to have more room. That's probably why you're not seeing an inrush issue. Uh, several episodes back, I think it actually was in our second one, we took a trip to Chicago and uh, met with uh, the owners of uh, LTF Technology who produce the vast variety of electronic transformers, drivers, and all of that. In my opinion, one of the best in the industry. And they also produce some magnetic uh, landscape transformers and all that. And we were talking a little bit about inrush. That's just like, you know, inrush current exists. It exists. On, yeah, on LED bulbs, and it doesn't matter, you know, on this power supply or that power supply, inrush current is, uh, it's there. Um, what's interesting about all of this is um, some of my other conversations with uh, my buddies in the industry, and we're talking about, do you think inrush current needs to be an actual rating so that you know how much you can or can't load up. For instance, take one person's MR16 7-watt bulb, and it might have a very, very low inrush of uh, like 4.2, let's just say. And then you take another person's similar wattage bulb, and it's like double that. I mean, it's... Mm all in the components it's all in the uh, the circuitry how things are are designed and you know asking the owners at LTF I says what's going to happen if somebody overloads it and they says over time you'll break down you'll wind up breaking down the uh, uh, the transformer either electronic or magnetic you know it's going to that initial surge is going to start you know, to impact um, the, the overall performance after a period of time. And yes, eventually, you know, things can fail. Um, probably not so much on a magnetic system as on a electronic system, which would be a lot more immediate of a problem because all of the voltages and everything are all done by electronic components and all that versus, you know, the magnetic coils. So um, it's just an interesting discussion to see where this is all going to go. And uh, 
know, if people really take that into consideration. So there is a difference in the quality of the bulbs. Uh, I'm not sure about um, the integrated fixtures. I'm sure there's a quality based on the components that they use, all of that. I'm sure certain manufacturers produce um, more uh, inrush than others. And, you know, the co the goal here is that it produces zero inrush. You know, that would be the best best situation, the best feature where uh, all of the uh, power supplies then would pass. But, you know, it is an issue. The people that don't play by the rules and go over the 80-20 rule, you know, they go close to, um, you know, 100% loading, you know, they're going to notice a, uh, uh, a bigger problem uh, first. Uh, uh, yeah, I see where you're going with that. And I would think, you know, the more information, the better. Uh, I always look at, you know, whenever I pick up a product, you know, it's like I, I read that whole label. I don't want to know every bit of that information. I want to know what the DA is. I want to know everything. Uh, so I would say, yeah, if there was an inrush rating, that would be that would be fantastic. Um, I only install a minimum 300 watt transformer anyway. I mean, that's I, I, if I'm installing 25 watt system, I'm putting in a 300 watt transformer. Sure. Uh, so that's probably why I just don't see the the uh, the situation, um, in rush situation, but I will definitely be keeping an eye out for it. <laughs> um, I think as LEDs become more and more uh, prevalent in the industry and people doing a lot different things with them and all of that, um, it's going to be something that we will certainly talk at with uh, the American Lighting Association at uh, Underwriters Laboratory when we review the uh, the landscape lighting standards and even some of the regular um, you know fixture and portable lamp standards. We'll talk more and more about uh, inrush current. Uh, it, it you know it is there. You know it is uh, having some effect on parts of your system one way or the other. I think there's just not been enough testing and all of that done to see what exactly it does after a period of time. So, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll you know, what gets me is uh, LED is so new for, for so many of us in this industry, you know, that we're installing incandescent and halogen lighting, you know, not that long ago um, and, and learning to be, uh, far more in-depth in troubleshooting and trying to figure out what's going on with these electronics uh, that we just didn't have to mess with before. I mean, a bulb burned out before you could see it, literally, you know, and replace it, boom, done. Uh, now, you know, you have these intricate, you know, uh, circuit boards that you're having to deal with and all of everything that goes along with that. You know, it's, it's, I find it harder to troubleshoot a system now than it used to be. Right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, as it, as it evolves, we'll get, we'll get better at it, I think. And, uh, you know, and I think the, um, the standards are gonna, gonna move pretty quickly, um, uh, taking all those things into consideration. Right. There was, uh, 
There was something I just got into, I think this last week or a week ago, and there was a custom dimmer manufacturer, and I believe that they were out of New York or something. And uh, they were trying to make the old retro um, looking switches, uh, and then they converted them into dimmers and all of that. And I think they had an rush rating of uh, it's like 500 amps for two mil for two milliseconds or something like that. So it was like. So what happens if you go over this? You know, you know, it's just we need to dig a little bit deeper to, um, you know, to make sure that you know we're not going to have any problems with the system, you know, six months or a year down the road. So, mm-hmm. yeah, two milliseconds. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty short. <laughs> I mean, take six milliseconds to to be electrocuted, but uh, you know, like. With, with a nine volt battery in an open wound. So two milliseconds, that's, that's super, that's super fast. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt. Um, so let's talk about another crazy thing. Do you think there's any thing that any individual or a uh, landscape lighting company can do to mitigate transient voltage, like, like lightning strikes in landscape lighting system? Ooh, wow. Well, one thing I've learned is that you can't beat Mother Nature. You know, um, we've lost entire lighting systems to, to lightning strikes. And it's, you know, trying to understand how lightning works. Uh, uh, somebody explained it to me once that it's it's basically like there's these veins in the when, when lightning strikes a tree or the ground or whatever, it just spreads out you know, and it travels through the ground. And uh, we had a situation, personal situation where, you know, lightning struck a tree. We didn't even have any lighting in or around that tree. And it took out our whole lighting system hmm. uh, because it, uh, it did find a fixture or it went through the electrical system or whatever, fried every fixture, fried the transformers, fried the guy's home automation system and his AV system and all of that. And, um, and, you know, until we can, I think better get a, get a better grip on, uh, on, you know, how we can at least try to mitigate it a little bit. Uh, a lot of products now have suppression built in or they sell suppression, uh, that you could put on a system. But, you know, when you're talking about millions of volts of electricity, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything we can do about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure interested in anything that comes about. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, uh, uh, there's a couple of guys out there that sell voltage suppressors and all of that. And, um, you know, they say that they're good up to so many jowls or whatever. It's just like, well, who wants to be around and measure those things? And, <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) So regarding Uh, lightning strikes, when you have a fixture planted in the ground, do you think that plastics uh, uh, stakes or spikes are doing any better of a job protecting that fixture? There's guys out there that are still providing like solid brass ones because of the corrosion issues or whatever. 
you think the plastic ones are doing any benefit versus the metallic ones? No. No, because, I mean, most of the fixtures we use are pla- have plastic stakes. Uh, sometimes they have metal uh, threads. Uh, we've used some stakes like that. I've used metal stakes. Um, I don't, I mean, unless it's deep enough, I mean, it's not going to create a good enough ground anyway. And you got to drive a ground rod, you know, at least 36 inches into the ground to ground it, right? For an electrical system. So I don't see how an eight inch stake or a 10 inch stake is really going to do the trick anyway. Yeah. You know, especially when you're talking about lightning. Okay. I mean, we're talking about the strongest force on that's ever been on the planet, you know, uh, it's lightning. Um, I, I just don't see, you know, where an eight inch metal stake is going to have any difference than an eight inch plastic stake. Plastic stake might melt maybe. And all but, the failure <laughs> with, uh, uh, landscape lighting due to lightning strikes, what percentage of them is actually the lightning hitting the fixture itself or getting through the back door uh, and hitting the wire and traveling up and blowing it up that way? I think it's more the latter, you know, the, the lightning coming in the back door than it is hitting the, hitting the fixture itself. You know, uh, we've had a couple of times where we've had downlights in trees that have been hit by lightning. They just blow that fixture up. I mean, we've found parts of it, you know, a long ways away, you know, where we've had direct strikes, right? And then, of course, then it travels down the wire, um, and trips the GFI in that. But the other situation I talked to you about just a moment ago, that lightning didn't hit any of our fixtures. It took out the whole system. You know, so I think it's definitely a, uh, coming in the back door is far more serious than than hitting a fixture. Right, right. You know, one thing that's been um, uh, kicked around a, a little bit. Um, you know, I said that I, uh, I sit on a lot of these standard panels with uh, laboratory, and one of the ones was uh, 1838, the landscape standard. And uh, one of the things that we've kicked around back and forth is, uh, you know, all of the transformers, they have a, uh, I think it's a 20 amp circuit breaker on them. Um, But we talk about in the landscape industry, people using 18 gauge, 14 gauge, 16 gauge. Yeah. Kind of a pet. See where I'm going with this thing, but if you yeah. got a 20 amp breaker, you know, a 20 amp breaker on your panel on your house requires 12 gauge wire. Well, it doesn't matter if it's on the panel in your house or low voltage, you know, amps or amps. And so, uh, you know, somebody puts a 14 gauge wire on a 20 amp circuit, I've seen fires started and mulch because. Uh, you know, the wires over melts the insulation and, and all of that. What's your take on all of that? That's kind of like a pet peeve of mine. Um, I, I've, I've heard of the same thing, and it's something I harp on all the time, is you have to size the wire to the protection. Okay, Protection is a 25-amp circuit breaker. You have to have wire that's 
that's rated for 25 amps. In this situation, it's 12-gauge wire. You have to use 12-gauge wire. Now, if, unless you're using a 100-watt transformer, okay, 100-watt transformer is going to have probably an 8 or a 10-amp circuit breaker in it, not a 25. So you have to size the wire to, the, to that circuit breaker. Whatever that circuit breaker is rated for, that's the wire you have to use. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's just the way it is. Because like you said, wire, that coating on that wire will melt before that circuit breaker trips because that circuit breaker is doing what it's meant to do, protect 25 amps. So if you're in there with 18-gauge wire on 25 amps, that wire is going to catch mulch on fire. It's going to burn down, you know, landscapes and houses and all kinds of stuff. So... Oh, uh, one thing that people don't realize is if you take like a 18, say a 14 gauge wire and go hook it up to your transformer and go 50, 75 feet out and cross the wires, how long do you think it's going to take for that circuit to pop? It's, right. It's going to take a little while. Um, it's not like 120 volts. If you take 120 volts and go 15 or 50 or 75 feet out and cross the two wires, that thing's going to pop immediately. So the resistance, uh, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time. Um, and the time factor, I believe, is enough to heat up the wire, melt the wire, and if you have uh, consumable um, materials around that connection, that uh, you, know, you could have a potential problem. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think this is one of the biggest dangers in our industry right now. Is people go, well, I've only got 100 watts on this thing. Or I've only got, in this situation, I've got 25 watts on this wire. Why can't I just run, you know, 16-gauge wire? Well, it's because you're hooking it up to a 300-watt transformer. And it's got a 25-amp circuit breaker on it. You have to run 12-gauge wire, you know, because somebody's going to add some more lights onto that thing, you know. You might have put only 25 watts on it, but, you know, somebody else could come in there, add five more fixtures. They doubled the load, you know. Or, I mean, there's just so many different things that could go wrong with that situation, you know. And, uh, well, I didn't do it. Well, yeah, right, you didn't do it, but you did put the wrong size wire on that circuit breaker. Right. So right. it is up to you, you know, as the person installing, designing the system. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that just drives me absolutely crazy. So what do you think overall is some of the biggest, I don't know, beginner mistakes or anything like that about laying out a, a landscape lighting job? Hmm. Technically or design wise? <laughs> no, technically, you know, technically I would say that's it, you know, and not, and not actually taking the time to figure in, uh, wire size and loads and voltage drop, you know, which are the three big technical issues that you have to deal with when you're, when you're engineering an outdoor lighting system, all of those things are very, very important and if you don't do those things you're going to have problems and almost guarantee it and i would add one more thing documentation people don't document anything you know 
um, when we install a system, we take volt an- we t- we take uh, amp readings on every line, we take voltage readings at every fixture, and we document all of it. We 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 document our amp load on the primary side, as well as the secondary side. And that way, when we go back in there and we have to troubleshoot something, or we're doing maintenance, we can go in there with a voltmeter, amp meter, and we can we can troubleshoot a system within a minute you know we can find out what run it's on if there's a problem we can find out what run it's on we can find out all kinds of things just because we have the documentation right there and we can boom nail it what's so the, the what's the biggest failure point uh biggest failure point that we've seen is connections you know which is you know that that's just super basic stuff uh but you know we still see it all the time people using like regular household wire nuts or just twisting wires together and using electrical tape which i just don't get but i see it all the time um you know and 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 so of course that's the biggest failures we see and and once again people not paying attention to voltage drop and undervolting things. And then we have to tell the client, yeah, I know you bought this fixture or this lamp that's supposed to last you this many years. And it would have, if this, you know, if it hadn't been undervolted, you know, or whatever, which is usually the problem we'll find, you know, we check voltage at a fixture and they're getting like six volts, four volts, you know, and you go, (laughs) what were you thinking? You know? Sure. Yeah. So, um, what is your favorite uh, splice? App, you know, mechanism. Uh, splice mechanism is well. If we're talking about splices, I like using butt splices and heat shrink. Uh, if we're talking about connectors, now I I tell people this is very regional. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. If I am in the Northeast or the Northwest where it's rainy and wet all the time and everything else, I'm probably going to go with, you know, I'm probably going to use butt splices and heat shrink for everything, right? Because I want, I want something serious. Or I'm going to use a Buchanan crimp, you know, with a, with a, uh, a grease uh, tube connection. Right. Um, but where I am here in Central Texas, we have a very mild climate. You know, everything's pretty easy. I use Drycon connectors. um, And to be quite honest, I've never had a failure. Um, And I think that would work with almost any kind of connection if people actually paid attention to the instructions on the connector and did it the way it's supposed to be done. Um, we, We go through, whenever we hire anybody, we go through a class. Okay, this is how you make a connection. You know, and we want them made like this every time. And so we've never had a failure with with one of those connections. But back in the halogen days, when we were talking about massive loads, when we were putting in 1,200 watt transformers and we were pulling, you know, 20 amps on a wire, um, we we used Buchanan crimps and, uh, and DVRs for all of our connections back then. Because the last thing I wanted was to even take the chance that something might even begin to, you know, cause you can get a lot of sparks when you're pulling a big load. Sure. So, uh, so we were really, but, but when LED came around, we started using those dry connectors and, and that 
we haven't had a failure. So we're, we're happy with those. Right. The, um, the, uh, uh, butt splice connectors that you're talking about, they're like the lighting shrimp corporation. I think mm-hmm. yes, yes. that when you heat the, uh, the, the shrink wrap, it's just not standard shrink wrap. They have a, um, uh, sealant in between a couple of layers that, actually oozes out and seals around the end. So it's the ones you're talking about, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it, so it actually, it seals it uh, all the way around and all the way through the connection. So it's, it, it's unpenetrable. Now we use those for all of our downlighting and we use those anytime we're doing a, a, a connection that's going to be constantly wet. Right. Right. Do they hold up well if they're not buried, if they're just like on top of the soil or on the tree? I mean, are they susceptible to ultraviolet light? Uh, we haven't had any problems with them. And like I said, we use them for all of our downlights. Uh, I, I think most of them are UV uh, protected. Uh, so we haven't had that problem. Of course, we never light our connections on the ground. Uh, but uh, But our tree connections, we've never had a failure on one of those. So, uh, and we check them constantly and make sure everything's good. So now, the Buchanan connectors you're talking about, is that the one with the Allen wrench? No, uh, Buchanan crimp is in the NEC. Actually, it's the only one that the only kind of connection you can use if you're connecting like copper and aluminum together, uh, like in the old aluminum wired homes, you know, sometimes you could put a copper uh, pigtail on it. Right. Um, but the only way you could do that is if you use this Buchanan crimp, which is just a little copper cap, basically. And it uses a crimping device that crimps from like four different sides. Okay. Okay. You know the one I'm talking about now? Absolutely. It, yeah. It makes such a tight connection for that little crimping device, right? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. They're expensive. <laughs> and, and my guys have lost a few of them over the years. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, those those are the ones that that I'm talking about. Yeah, if you want a you want a, a connection that's never going to fail, you can make that connection and pull a truck with it. You're not, I mean, it's not going anywhere. So you do you twist those, or do you uh, like when you put like three wires together? Do you twist the wires together? Or you just put the Buchanan crimp on it and give it a squeeze. Yeah, I I never you you don't have to twist them. I always give them just like a half twist, right? Just to do it and then put the cap on there and then crimp it and it's, it's never going to fail. Right. Right. Okay. And, and then put that in a grease tube, you know, and, uh, you're good. There, there you go. You're good to go. So we're about out of time here. We've talked a lot more, um, than I thought, but you get a couple of old guys like us talking, <laughs> but, uh, is there anything else that you, uh, have to say about landscape lighting in general or um, you know problem solving or anything like that you know um really the thing is uh that i would say you know uh pay attention to the basics you know um as, as long as people really pay attention to the basics and understand that every one of those is is super important uh, they'll be fine. Design is going to be different for everybody. Um, every designer is going to see things differently. 
but take the time to uh, to try things. Think outside the box. You know, I I, I use some fixtures for things that you would never even imagine. Sure. But it's like, you know, hey, I know what kind of effect I get out of this fixture or this, you know, this lamp, you know, because a lot of times, oh, here's, here's, okay, here's a big one. Don't overdo it. Don't overlight, you know. You don't need, you know, a thousand lumens to light up a crepe myrtle. Sure. You know, it's just not necessary. Right. <laughs> you know, but I see that all the time. Yeah. And so just, you know, take it easy. Right. But if they want to learn a lot about landscape lighting and do it in a brief way, they can go to Amazon, pick up your book. Uh, you have it on Kindle. You can download it on your iPad. You can get the old-fashioned hardback copy and read up on it. I think it's uh, it's a great little book for the for the basics and probably beyond basics, to tell you the truth. And uh, the name of the book, again, is what, Paul? The Landscape Lighting Guide, a Contractor's Resource. Can I, can I say one more thing? Sure. Uh, look into the Association of Outdoor Lighting Professionals, the AOLP, um, for anybody out there who's interested in lighting. Um, that's where you and I met. Uh, okay. But uh, that's a great organization uh, for, our, for the outdoor lighting industry. So look at that, too. And if you're an individual looking to hire somebody, um, it's always good to hire somebody with an AOLP backing, you know, that's gone through the classes, that's learned how to put things together correctly and, 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 and all of that. And, um, that always helps. Uh, you, you can't go wrong versus, uh, you know, some of these guys that, you know, started their company yesterday. So, um, anyway, with that, Paul, I want to thank you very much for, uh, coming on Light It Up podcast. Uh, we've kind of hit on the surface of landscape lighting. Hope to have you back on here soon. And uh, with that, stay safe, stay out of the bad weather. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Take care.